Hiya, dames and daddios, and welcome to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official and official voice of the Marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who's the hopped-up hipster who just says no to a deck of luckies. It's Pete. What's razzing your berries? I go hard on the vegetables. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. radio program by Fantastic Geek for episode 704, Out of the Past. Brought to you by the Crazy Canoe. You may proceed with your saga of struggle. Pete, so glad to be here talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the uh, the Hawaiian bar in our shared crazy lives, you, me, the listeners at large, etc. And, uh, you know, Pete, this is, this is the Marvel offering for the summer, and I uh, couldn't be happier to be talking about it now. And using this episode, as you surely saw at the end, dedicated in loving memory to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. grip Joseph Teague, uh, died in a traffic accident on May 6th of this year. Uh, just want to draw attention to uh, his life and his work. Uh, had finished the show with the, the cast and uh, part of the crew. And uh, there's a GoFundMe that's been established in his name. Um, it has a goal of $95,000. They have only amassed about $33,000 to this point. So we're going to put that in our show notes for you on our website, fantasticgeek.com. So hopefully be able to contribute to that. Yes, certainly in this in this theme that we've had of giving this uh, this a bit more specific compared to some of the the uh, larger looking charities, but this one coming from the Agents of Shield family, so certainly worth highlighting here. When we catch you up on what went down, the Marvel card switches to black and white outside the Hotel Roosevelt on a dark and stormy night in the City of Angels as Coulson delivers an inner monologue about fate and how he doesn't believe in it, but he knows history. Rain pelts a pool, and Agent Sousa carries a briefcase down a hall as he's followed by a man with a gun. He thought he shook his tail, but is surprised from the front. Shot rings out, his cane falls, and a body floats face first in the pool as we go to the title card in a noir style Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The episode from the get go, pulling from the film Sunset Boulevard, particularly ending with uh, Guy in the Pool, as well as uh, disembodied uh, narrator here uh, in Sunset Boulevard, it's the same person, though. Uh, what's going on here? We, of course, have Colson with that voiceover talking about how his circuits have been fried, all the color taken out of his world. So there's your, there's your dramatic license by which you get to do, you know, a 1950s gumshoe film noir and have all those elements, but still somehow be authentic to what is more or less the real world or, you know, an analog of our world in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, it is hammered home that uh, this is the day Daniel Sousa became the first fallen angel of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, also, we are in flashback, uh, Coulson narrating here. So Sousa is questioning Coulson. He's gone back in time a bit here. Who are you? Coulson saying, I'm your contact. I'm here to help keep the device out of the hands of the Ruskies. If you can imagine such a thing, Pete, the Russians out there to try and get us. Enough jibber-jabber. Should we get this package to Howard Stark? <gasps> Pete. 
will there be a Howard Stark cameo in this episode? Okay, maybe not. But Coulson <laughs> is going to have it brought to them because he's going to be along for the train ride. And we're clear on what we're doing, where we're headed in this episode. Got to get on that 510 to L.A. there. Meanwhile, um, clock ticking and Coulson needs to get a hold of Zephyr 1. So who can help him do that? But Enoch, who is at the safe house turned crazy canoe uh, bar they last left him in. And uh, he has built a device in order to uh, be able to patch him through to Zephyr 1. Um, Coulson speaks to Mac. Uh, they need to find this scientist, Linmore, who somewhere has had his face erased. And he has this device that uh, Stark will eventually receive. So Coulson's going to uh, get going to the train yard. Yo-Yo and Deke are dispatched to retrieve the gadget from Linmore's home. This Enoch scene, Pete, places the show as the cat. We, the mouse, as Enoch, though emotionless, says it's nice to hear from Coulson after two decades. Maybe now is time for Enoch to rejoin S.H.I.E.L.D. No, no, no. No time. Uh, and of course, that's a gag that gets returned to only bringing up our hunger to have Enoch rejoin the team. Pete, hope that maybe he'll rejoin it for good at some point. Uh, I guess time will tell there. As you mentioned, though, Deke and Yo-Yo sent out on assignment. Uh, confirmation prescient, as this was written in presumably the winter of, the early winter of 2019 and filmed, I believe you said, Pete, in April of 2019. Yes, uh, we, we know this concretely because after this episode, Elizabeth Hinsridge um, got engaged and there's, there's Instagram stuff to prove that. So there we go. Uh, this scene confirming that the 1950s, as much as it's this time of nostalgia, it is a sexist and racist time, just like the 1930s, uh, perhaps Pete, just like now. Uh, I think certainly the, the intent of this little anecdote is to show how sometimes things don't change. Uh, Yo-Yo is frustrated with being an agent of status quo, so not only some presumed story seeding for episode 705 and beyond, but also, again, sometimes art gets made and meets its time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this episode, of course, not in response to events in the last month, two months, three months, etc., but... Yo-Yo's frustration at being an agent of the status quo uh, mirrored by by many of us trying to uh, to change the status quo. Linmore's door has had the lock removed along with his face, which Yo-Yo finds upstairs, uh, as well as a suitcase with the device under his bed. But a pair of bad guys abduct Deke downstairs. One of those bad guys, by the way, Pete, when first revealed, at least in black and white, or the angle, or the shadows, or whatever, kind of looked like Matt Smith. Now, Pete, you might not recognize him from from a program called Doctor Who. Um, you might know you him mean from... Matt Smith, who was cast and then uncast from uh, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Yes, I know that Matt Smith. Um, but joking aside, for, for, for a moment, I mean, I knew it wasn't him, but it was like, hey, it looks like Matt Smith. Um, Yo-Yo runs down stores, uh, down stores, downstairs. Deke is gone. Uh, she has the package, but of course wants to rescue 
her teammate. Uh, and right there, I think we can see that there's going to be some conflict in that, you know, the A story needs the package, but uh, the team needs Deke as we hit that act break. Final boarding call for the 510 LA and Colson hopes to see a familiar face aboard, but Yo-Yo is looking for Deke. She calls Enoch, who's ready to join the team, but all she wants him to do is connect her to the Zephyr. Yo-Yo tells Mac, who assumes Russians nabbed Deke. If you can imagine Russian involvement. Uh, Deke was uh, put first, ultimately, and uh, that has left Coulson high and dry. Uh, Time to improvise, Coulson tells us via narration as he sees an unrelated stranger take a nap. Uh, Coulson says that's the signal, steals the briefcase, um, and he and uh, Sousa leave the car. However, we see they've been noticed by two other guys, so tension everywhere. Uh, as we head to Zephyr 1, which has the real McCoy, the real Thingus, which is a metal thing uh, that has thingly powers. Yes, Simmons opens the suitcase to reveal the gadget. The Rosetta Stone of S.H.I.E.L.D. tech, even the Zephyr, can be traced back to it. We'll talk about that with theories later on. May smiles, strangely taken with the device. Indeed, she does the continuation of May and strange emotions uh, or lack thereof or too much or whatever it might be uh, from last episode. Uh, We then go back to the train where Sousa is talking about Russian threats, indeed, and other threats. Hammering home Pete not too hard that, of course, last episode, continuing this episode, that Sousa uh, was concerned of a Hydra presence Um, here, the episode stealthily building that up because of course it will lead to his death or death um (laughs) side note it's been a little while since since the episode has said he's guaranteed to die at the end of the episode so i assume they're going to keep reminding us um in in perhaps what was a slightly overblown attempt to make us believe he actually was going to die but um susa notes that colson has no ring hashtag valinda nor does susa uh, Colson is not able to open the briefcase until they get to the drop in L.A. Uh, humble question. Will he be meeting Howard Stark? Nope. Just his man in L.A. <gasps> Pete, this now makes me wonder if we're going to see uh, Jarvis in the episode. Uh, but first, time for a drink. And who sits down? Chronicon Dole. Yes, he's looking to cut a deal with Colson as we hit the act break here the train making its way west. Coulson tells Dole he should take his deal to Mac, but he came to Coulson because he's not a man. If they give the Chronicoms Earth, the humans will benefit from their charity. Sousa, meanwhile, is approached by a lady in the bar car. Coulson turns Dole's deal down. He insists the Chronicoms uh, see and know all, which we will find out is actually not the case. Uh, the ladies' friends clear out the bar car before they attack Sousa, but Daisy and Mac cut in. Coulson comes in as well, and the suitcase spills open, revealing the ruse. Sousa wants the package, but they need to take a little walk outside to a cloaked Quinjet hovering above. 
By the way, Pete, in the preceding scene, Dole again guaranteeing that Sousa dies tonight. So there it is. I was concerned we hadn't been reminded. Uh, Though our team is on the Quinjet, headed back to Zephyr 1, someone is still MIA. Cut to Deke, knocked out and brought into a fancy house. Back we go. Oh my goodness, cross-cutting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. style. Back on Zephyr 1. Welcome aboard. Here's May. She's the pilot. She she stutters, seemingly not recognizing things. Um, An important clue for later. Uh, Simmons takes her aside for a checkup. For Sousa, though, it's time to hand over the package. Uh, He gets it, and then maybe they can help get Deke back. Cut to Deke, brought to a shadowy boss. Uh, But we stick with Sousa, who's worried that S.H.I.E.L.D. is infiltrated by Hydra. Um, I'm realizing, Pete, there's a lot of things in this episode repeated a number of times, Mm -hmm. including Sousa and the Hydra concern. Uh, This is confirmed rather blithely by everybody, and Coulson pieces it together. Uh, Sousa's death was not at the hand of Ruskies, but rather the hands of Hydra. Uh, Sousa says, rather shocked, that only his boss knows about these connections, his boss being Malik. Wilfred Malik. Act four here, that uh, Malik does not recognize Deke, who pretends to be a salesman and not a scientist, getting the one goon shot to death. Which certainly was a, a funny moment there as, uh, as Deke improvising being a toaster salesman. Pete, some discussion online, particularly live during the act break. How in the world could Malik not recognize Deke? Um, I, I wonder if, I don't know. I, I feel like Pete, perhaps the farther I get in life, the, the easier it is to understand how Malik might not have recognized Deke from low these 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, I could certainly see that we're seeing him in 1931 and then 1955, you know, two episodes later. Why don't you remember this guy? <laughs> right, right. To, to me, if nothing else, even if you're like, all right, but it was this incredibly traumatic moment that Deke saved youngest Malik from. Of course, he would remember him. I buy that. Here's what the episode has to say. Malik doesn't recognize him. Like, there's your explanation, even if it's tenuous at best. I mean, Thanos doesn't recognize uh, Wanda. I think proof, Pete, when when heavy lies the crown, whether it's a a good crown or a bad crown, sometimes you don't recognize people. Uh, We go back to Zephyr 1, but not before it's floated that maybe uh, the world wouldn't miss the toaster salesman, Deke. Uh, But back to Zephyr 1, they need to let Sousa go to his meeting to die what impact would it have on history if Sousa lives? And this, of course, the 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 crux of of you know the time travel thing. I mean, Back to the Future Two, nineteen eighty five B. If you tug at one thing, how far apart does it does it come a tumbling? Um, and coincidentally, that also driving the the thrust of the episode because we're guaranteed of one thing, Pete. In that meeting, he will die. Yes, his sacrifice uh, was an inspiration to S.H.I.E.L.D. like Coulson's was to the Avengers. <gasps> it's still connected, Matt. It is. Jeff Loeb saying, take that, you know, younger, more successful brother over there at Marvel Studios. Oh, I don't think they're done saying take that for this season. <laughs> Nor I think, do I. I think the Avengers nod here is nodding at another one to come. Time will tell. I mean, now that Sousa's in the fold, right, 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 right. Oh, oh yes, that law enforcement. 
Oh, yes. Uh, when, when I saw that theory on Twitter, which I will credit in due course in the theory segment, it was like, this is just, this is too perfect. This is the perfect puzzle piece. This is the puzzle piece on the floor that you find. Oh, there it is. Anyhow, back to this episode. Uh, Sousa and Daisy talking here, how Sousa is willing to fight the good fight. Pete, I'll inject some words into Sousa's mouth here. He'll fight all the way to the end of the line. Uh, Deke back at the uh, Malik mansion, you know, don't do it, Freddy. Don't shoot me. Uh, Malik taking exception at being called Freddy. That when Deke reveals that he was there in 1931, life for a life, all of that. Also, eat your veggies. That's how you keep your 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 masculine Deke-like appearance low across, what, 20, 24 years. Uh, and indeed, Deke walks out, debt paid. And um, I would bet maybe not the last that we see of old Freddy Malik in this season, but time will tell. We saw him at the end of the episode. <laughs> I meant, uh, pardon me, let me rephrase that. In the course of these time-traveling jumps, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him again. I'm, I'm looking forward to 70s-style Elder Malik, uh, right out of, like, Dynasty or something like <laughs> that. Um, but uh, the discussion here aboard Zephyr 1 is Simmons checking May out, and Yo-Yo says something similar happened at Area 51 when May had her panic attack. She hadn't been feeling anything, and they're trying to get to the bottom of that. Back in New York, the barfly finally finishes telling Enoch his tale of woe when Deke calls, and Enoch immediately connects him to Zephyr 1, which is just a great gag. The patented Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cross-cutting continues. Let me focus on the May part. She's reflecting. She went to a world of no emotion. That's kind of how I felt about season six. Oh, wait, sorry. She meant the alien planet. She wasn't doing meta commentary on season six. Uh, she returned confused. Uh, everyone looked foreign to her like strangers. Uh, May feels concerned. Yo-Yo and Simmons step away. Now May is less concerned. Pete, she's an empath. She's Deanna May of Troy. Deanna of May. I don't know. Um, but when she was by Sousa, she felt the desire to run. Wait a minute. Sousa's about to run, taking a motorcycle to go to the Hotel Roosevelt. Yes, enabled by the fact that Mac has called an audible here. They're going to make some waves, finally. And um, Daisy was summoned to the tech deck, which made Sousa able to steal a motorcycle and get to his 9 o'clock meeting at the Hotel Roosevelt. We get an act break. Then the central conflict restated. Can they get to Sousa before his killer will? Uh, Pete, it's been mentioned so many times that he dies for sure. I don't know. Uh, we see Sousa in the lobby. Uh, and there's at least one Chronicom around. So it seems uh, he nods to the desk person. The desk person nods back. Uh, Joe the baddie sees Sousa. And uh, Malik orders the job done. Uh, the front desk clears out, and Sousa crosses the lobby, tailed by Joe. Uh, we see Joe drawing his gun and moving. Sousa has given him the, the slip, spying him from the shadows. We do see the successful handoff of the package, so that portion of the timeline now kept intact. Then Joe finds him, Sousa's shot, ending up in the pool, Sunset Boulevard style. However, so mysteriously, Pete, we don't see his face. 
yes and the phone call made to malik the job is done but he didn't have the package the body in the pool was colson who uh iced susa and then took two in the back without a fuss before falling in the drink uh daisy and simmons arrive as morticians before a phone call is made <laughs> and fish out colson who gets his systems restored uh, to see in living color again, just as May comes over to check on him. Internal monologue's gone too, but May doesn't pick up anything from him. The return to color reminding me, Pete, of the movie Pleasantville. What was Joan Allen doing when she made that tree explode in fire? I don't remember, but I think it's similar feelings here that maybe Colson is feeling. Uh, everything is back to normal. Uh, Deke does have a headache. He's going to be okay. Maybe he and Yo-Yo will change the status quo next time he and Yo-Yo talk about, hoping that podcasters in the future will one day wonder if he and Yo-Yo will change the status quo next time. Uh, it's now jump time. Oh, if only they could bring Enoch, but they'll have to get to him next time. Uh, and they jump. But Pete, cut to Susa, who wakes up with a hangover from the icer. Can you bring him up to speed? Yes, the bump, the time jump there. Uh, Coulson reveals that he was iced for or by Future Shield and tells him all about the Chronicoms. History says that he's dead, yet he's alive. Congrats and condolences. Welcome to life after death in the 70s. Uh, and indeed, as the radio plays No More Mr. Nice Guy, we are in 1973, question mark, as the act ends. But Pete, as you forecast, the tag scene here has Malik. What's he up to? Dole, who called Malik to tell him Sousa was on the train, shows up at Malik's mansion here and reveals they, they share the same enemy in S.H.I.E.L.D. The Dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We'll begin with Freddy's goons. One is Joe. I'm going to call the other Mo. <laughs> well, you could call the other dead because he's <laughs> dead halfway through the episode. <laughs> no uh, go it he... is. <laughs> no go Mo. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he, he no go no Mo. Proof that good help is hard to find because not only is uh, dead Mo. Uh, you know, picking up the wrong guy here. Uh, but Joe, you know, I, I, tricked by expert tricksters in our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Joe, who set out to collect the package and kill Sousa, does neither bring his, I don't know, his uh, Lyft slash Uber driver rating down to zero stars. <laughs> you, you need these types of bad guys in the mix here in service of the bigger bad with Chronicom Dole here. We've put the chronic hop uh, persona aside, at least for now, uh, just wearing the suit, trying to cut a deal with Colson and the fascinating aspect that they believe they're seeing all they too know. Sousa dies. Uh, they don't know. Sousa didn't die. Ah, dun dun dun. So, certainly the Chronicoms as overarching enemies for the season, uh, starting to show some cracks in the armor. 
Pete, there's also the Lady and Goons. What villainous things do you want to cover with them? Well, I mean, trying to, you know, take advantage of Sousa on the train, take him out, connected, of course, to Hydra. Amazing that, you know, we float the idea of Russians in this episode so much, and there's nary a Rusky to be found. I appreciate that uh, Sousa does not fall for it, that, you know, it's that... You know, his back is fully to the two guys quietly cleaning or clearing the car, rather. And he, you know, immediately says, you know, I, I see what's going on, so on and so forth. So proof that uh, proof that Sousa is a heads up kind of guy, particularly as he's given presumably the opportunity to continue to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, but we must, of course, close with Freddy looking a bit older than when we saw him last. But uh, I suspect Pete around for the future. I couldn't tell whether the tag occurs in the 70s or whether they were back in 55. Obviously, the Chronicom's not going to change. It looked like Malik changed a little bit. Obviously, he's wearing different clothes, um, but it would have been nice if it was clear what's going on there. I assume it's 1955. He probably would have been gray, right? in the seventies, if he was in his twenties, uh, in 1931. Yeah. I kind of also, I vaguely wonder, was this always destined to be the tag scene or was this maybe, you know, from an earlier point in the episode and got moved up for some sizzle? Um, I mean, it, it, it obviously works as a tag scene, but it's also not, you know, it's not the most amazing cliffhanger of all time, that, that sort of thing. But, uh, I guess we will certainly know more next week. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, this episode, a Sousa Howard Stark mission. Uh, yeah. So certainly echoes of Agent Carter. I, the show. Agent Carter. Was... You mean Agent Carter available now on Disney Plus and the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek available on Apple Podcasts? The very same. Um, and that show, I won't spoil it, but that show ending with a cliffhanger, I was hoping that... So how do I word this without spoiling the fabulous Agent Carter series for people? The barfly at Enoch's bar, the crazy canoe, uh, who was talking about his SOB uh, superior <laughs> officer. His I was SO, hoping who was a B. <laughs> indeed. His SO, who puts the SO in SOB. Uh, I was hoping that that was going to, that a name might be dropped that might resolve an unresolved thing from the final episode of Agent Carter. Because um, I feel like this is the time period to do it. Could you still work it in in the 70s? Absolutely. But if the goal is to tie up that loose end, you know, it was the 1955 portion to do it, and it looks like they haven't. Um, so maybe I just need to kind of let go there, particularly as the show presumably is eyeing larger connections uh, in the episodes ahead. Yeah, it's it's to this point unresolved. Let's hope maybe there's a fix in there, although kind of doubt it, given that it is a sister show. Enoch, Matt, has been in the S.H.I.E.L.D. safe house for 24 years. He's developed 
technology to take a telephone call and to transmit it to Zephyr 1. It's going to be interesting to see. Are there other things he's done? It is interesting to to think, you know, if you think of the cork board or the whiteboard as the writing staff was was, you know, spelling out the way for this season, Enoch as the magic story solver. You know, here he is the the, the technological connective thing. Um, it it works in a way that that is beyond reproach. I think as contrast. Uh, some of the old Night Rider episodes where when you need ye oldie doubloon cleaner, uh, Kit has a ye oldie doubloon cleaner. And you're like, well, he never had that before or since. Um, here, though, the use of Enoch really is really is effective um, because you kind of would buy, you know, you'd buy him as somebody who can exist for these thousands of years. Somebody who is a little ho-hum to the passage of time. Of course, he would just start to source parts and create a way to connect the agents of shield to Zephyr one. If they happen to call the bar, like it just makes sense in a season, Matt, which is about kind of setting some things right. As we take our last tour of the battlefield here, I think it's very interesting that they have set up this redemption of Deke pointing out the racism and the sexism he's seen in the 30s, now in the 50s, when he was kind of perpetuating it today with his framework technology. I mean, it is such a relatable arc to have any character go from selfish to selfless. And if we're going to have Deke around, which, you know, clearly we are, clearly Jeff Ward joined the cast full time. It was for, for more than a a one season thing and all that uh, give him that arc. And I mean, when we saw him introduced, of course he's selfish. They're living there in the lighthouse. It's this, it's this very selfish, basic uh, attempt to exist and survive. And then what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is, you know, Colson who sacrifices himself in order to be a shining light uh, to, to the agents of shield, to the Avengers and so on and so forth. So to have Deke on that journey from, you know, from, you know, lone wolf to a true agent of, of shield of it's, change. It's super that. Yes. And I mean, you then contrast that with as selfish as he was, it always was the humans versus the aliens. So he and his society in the future, were not concerned about gender differences. They weren't concerned about orientation differences. They weren't concerned about, you know, racial differences amongst the human race, you know, talking about ethnicity. It was, everybody's human and everybody's in the same in the same boat here uh, all but literally the, the lighthouse being a boat of sorts so of course he kind of has this post-racism post-sexism post-ism uh existence because he's he's seen that there are larger things to worry about other than gender color of skin and so forth so for him to be both super enlightened and then come to what had been the present time you know the the, the 2010s and to live this super you know, still a selfish life when there's all these things to get. Uh, and, you know, it's it's two great jumping off points for where he clearly is headed now in terms of selflessness. This Rosetta Stone gadget that is the subject of Stark's desire here. Seuss is trying to get it to him. Simmons uh, knows all about it. Was this planted by 
uh, fits somewhere in the past. And could we ever see actor Ian Decay sticker again? We better see him again. My goodness. I would not have bet we'd be four episodes in and not even a whisper uh, of his return. Um, it's difficult to figure out because there are these time jumps, you know, how much is a precious story thing. For example, episodes one and two, uh, deal with the time three and four, uh, agents of status quo. Oh, maybe we should do something about it differently next time. There's an arc. Is this device that we saw in this episode, Justin MacGuffin in, I mean, of all the episode types to do it in this sort of episode where, you know, Sam Spade style, it's just a thing that people say is important that has no meaning to us. I would lean more towards that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it is part of, you know, pardon the pun, Pete, part of some sort of hashtag, it's all connected. Speaking of connections, Pete, sometimes a theory comes out at you like a lightning bolt. And perhaps, perhaps listeners have already heard of this theory. Perhaps people have reached it on their own, but Credit to Saren on Twitter. That's at Ham Sandwich Woman. That's a sandwich, S-A-N-D-W-C-H. No, uh, no vowels in the sandwich portion there. Ham Sandwich Woman uh, saying, because of these time jumps, uh, it's totally Susa who will end up being the Enver Jokai cop character in Avengers. I know you had alluded to that earlier, but that as an endpoint, maybe not end of life, but that as an endpoint for susa i mean my response on twitter was oh my goodness put it in the books mark down this theory as almost certainly true it's too good not to do it is uh he dies in a deleted scene but <laughs> that's a deleted scene so right. in, our, in our mind susa susa continues M- pete how about this and look i don't want i don't want enver jokai to be done with agents of shield or done with the marvel cinematic universe before his time that said, the end comes on August 12th uh, for, for all of this. Maybe they dust off that deleted scene and, you know, through reshoots, through camera trickery, through green screen, through whatever, maybe that becomes a scene in in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you get both his death shot by a Whedon, his death restored by a Whedon or two. You know, th- there, there's something kind of behind the scenes all connected as well. Oh, I, I only wish that type of book ending was possible. But as you alluded to the distance between Kevin Feige and Jeff Loeb, I kind of doubt it. Maybe. Oh, maybe it's just kind of this, like, you know, it's the last hurrah or, or whatever, who knows? Maybe, maybe somebody in the Iger household is, is a real big shield fan. Who, who can say Pete, any other theories on your radar? The Chronicoms have a predictor in Sybil, but she did not see that Sousa would move forward. At least she didn't tell them. Maybe she knows, and it's just not important to what Dole and the other Chronicoms are doing, but it's an interesting wrinkle in the mix. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things, clearly the show needs the show needs the 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 suffocating threat in 701-702 of you know, the bad guys are always one step ahead. We can never catch up. We can, there's no way out. I mean, you need that in the, in the beginning of your arc. Um, but of course that can't last the entire time because our expectation is the good guys are going to win in the end. So 
do they address this with Sybil in the future? Maybe. Does it get jotted down to, you know, don't forget, we were told the rules in 701 of ripples, not waves. And this is a ripple that now hides the real Sousa. And, you know, and therefore her prediction was accurate because she foresaw his death and there the body was in the pool, that sort of thing. Uh, either way could work. You mentioned the Avengers before name checked in this episode in the way that Coulson inspired them. So if you're going to look at the idea that we're possibly going to get Sousa being that police officer character uh, interacting with Captain America, you got Coulson who dies right before it the first time. Um, and the way that he inspired the Avengers, I, I think, you know, to go back to 2011 when they're filming that movie and to think that in 2020 there'd be this potential capstone to it is really fascinating. And I think a common thread for what we've been podcasting in the last six months, which is to say The Mandalorian, Star Trek Picard, and now Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's this question of what's the right balance of nostalgia versus new story. How do you go back and do touchstones while still moving into new areas and things like that? I dare say that if it's, if we're in the waning episodes of shield as a series, if you're going to be going back and doing some time jumps, if you're even going to be ripping off end game a little bit in terms of look, you didn't know that off to the side over here, you know, on this, on this one alley, it's, you know, uh, 20, 24 or whatever uh you know tony stark and the hulk and whatnot and then it turns out two alleys over there is colson and whatnot you know at this point i'm imagining at this point being you know 7 12 7 13 at that point just throw it all in throw the kitchen sink in let's just have fun it doesn't need to always necessarily make sense or or have a completely clean timeline just go for the fun well, we've now moved into a mentality with our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where the director in Mac is saying that they can make waves. They want to upset the status quo. So as we've shifted into the 70s, it's going to be interesting to see what they might look to upend. Again, sometimes the story and the time suit each other. And I don't mean the 1970s. I mean, you know, that we're consuming this now in, in this this turbulent 2020 um it makes sense for the arc of a season it makes sense for the logic of our characters and it makes sense frankly in terms of the the constraints we were discussing earlier if the chronicoms know the outcome of the uh, projected flow of time or the established flow of time well you need to create wiggle room you did that a little bit with susa dying and not dying but now you need to do it more in order to open up that space so that you can catch the crown the comms get to their ship get to the the predictor you know all of those things that might solve your problem long term you need to stop trailing and catch up to them and it's in disruption that that change can occur speaking of predictor matt gotta give credit to jen phillips who might be a chronicom because she accurately predicted that colson would see may and then start to see in color well, I mean, Jen Phillips and, of course, all the ladies over at the Felinda podcast doing a wonderful job over there. Uh, no surprise that, uh, that, that she might be a predictor. Um, and, of course, 
if you're gonna go for the noir episode i mean i don't i don't mean to downplay her prediction nor the writing in this episode i'm just saying sometimes things work out perfectly we're talking about the the missing puzzle piece earlier if you're gonna if your just basic concept is let's do 1950s sunset boulevard but something something shield and there's going to be time aliens and something something die in a pool all right as you work through that idea you're going to have black and white you're going to have voiceover well how do you explain that you get you get to all these points well my goodness it has to be this colson may romance that has been in the background for too much that was an important part of the end of season five and then because of the surprise renewal got washed away a little bit and dealt with in in the strange season six and all of that it just fits perfectly to have that flourish for the audience if not for colson let's check the wire pete we start with our twitter poll uh the four options here one metal fingus got 7.1 percent Seriously, who's giving this episode a one? Come on. Uh, two, Fred Malik's this season uh, is a 3.6. Three, Veggies a Day says Deke. I had to kind of stretch my one, two, three, four thing here a little bit, but uh, that got 17.9%. And four, Agents of Change, 71.4%. So a very hearty rating there. Uh, first reply, as always, seems from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo1983. I think the guy playing Malik was trying to do a Powers Booth impression. The writing is still tight, and I'm glad they are only uh, they are doing only two episodes per time period. Keeps the story moving. Can't wait to see how they're going to integrate Sousa with the team. On another note, it looks like the plan is to jump a generation, 20 years, at a time with time travel. 30s, 50s, now 70s. I can't wait to see the 90s. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, tweet from JT Atkins. It's at JTA's me. First reaction, awesome. Uh, and then the aforementioned Saren that's at Ham Sandwich Woman who says of the episode Perfection, I think this episode is my favorite one ever, Pete. It's It was good. I preferred last week. Had a little bit more, you know, of a, of a action flair. The noir here. I mean, it's, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's stylized. Uh, more of a slow burn. Uh, we move on to the email inbox from uh, this one from 084 again, who says, So good. Clark Gregg has been aching to narrate some noir, and it shows. The style of the episode was absolutely perfect. Between the lack of faces shown, the title Out of the Past, and clips I've seen of Sousa in later era clothing, I think we all saw the team's decision to take him with them a mile away. But the idea is so exciting to me that I don't care. As always, I'm curious as to whether their machinations were simply a way to emulate what actually happened in their past without dams, or if this is just the way that it uh, always was. But again, it's so fun that I don't really care. I think that's their aim for this season. Look at our time travel logic any way that you want, but just have fun doing it. And I think it's working. Chronology notes. According to the time card in the amazing episode Paradise Lost, Malik died in 1970. If they decide to bring him back as an elderly man post-1973, when, Miss, when uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy was released, either the Chronicoms faked his death like Sousa's, or it's some sloppy chronology. I myself wouldn't mind seeing the actor who played young Gideon back because I remember he was excellent in the role. What else did I like? The status quo conversation with Yo-Yo and Deke. The menacing actor they got for Malik, totally selling it as the guy who would have raised Gideon. 
Sousa's balance of falling for some things versus not falling for others. He might be a S.H.I.E.L.D. legend and a great character, but he's no Peggy Carter, and he shouldn't be written as infallible. May's trip to the other world turning her into a super empath. I love the idea of where we can go with that. Uh, and the last thing that 084 liked, Bartender Enoch was everything. Until <laughs> next time, Pete, that from 084. Yeah, it it was, I think, the highlight of the episode that you get Joel Stopper back that... You know, he just so wants to be back with the team, and instead he's in this support role 3,000 miles away. They can't get him. I hope he's holding it down in 1973. Barracuda. <laughs> to Twitter, Matt, where I asked the question of Mark Kolpak, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. effects supervisor, what's it like to do EFX in black and white? Uh, and he responded, he said, well, I hate to burst your bubble, but we did them in color, then turned them black and white. Um, I kind of got that. My my big uh, question was, how do you how do you make it shimmer? You know, the, the effect of the Quinjet uh, in black and white a little tougher to sell. So he added to his tweet here, uh, you still have to grade the image and balance out the images in a grayscale spectrum. Issues like matte lines are way more forgiving in B&W, black and white, but I'm super focused on those either way. So just a uh, an insight into uh, how to do special effects uh, even in black and white. It's it's so great to see how accessible Mark Kolpak is. I mean, I know all of Hollywood, you know, has downtime now and obviously, you know, work on the show has, has long since finished, but he's kind of like the, he's the man on the ground from the show. That's just out there answering questions and whatnot. And it's great that there is that accessible person. I recall somebody gave him a hard time over like, why was the effect in 703 when there was something, something. And he was, you know, he gamely replied and was like, well, there was wind that day or we had wind on the actor and they were getting dirt on them. It was just like, guys, can we not like go after Mark, Mark Kolpak who's kind enough to answer questions about mat lines and, uh, you know, editing programs and VFX companies. Sheesh. Well, I'm glad that you reached out to Mark Kolpak on Twitter. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk about agents of shield? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,342 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. We're closing in on a big milestone. So if you haven't liked that already, you want to be there. Pete, this is it for the Marvel Cinematic Universe this summer. And my goodness, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could not be much better as it has been in these four episodes here. Can't wait to see what is ahead of us. We, of course, will be back next Saturday to talk more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for now, though, I shall say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. It always gets better. Just never fast enough.